there, welcome, welcome once again to the Two Guys Talking Craft with me, Adam Coots from Unstoppable Acting Studio. And in a second, I'll be joined by Jared Kellner from Actors Approach Craft Technique Toolbox. And every two weeks, what we get up to um, here is we pick apart, we delve into, um, we dive into a number of different practitioners. And um, yeah, we try some things out and we discuss them. And um, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And here's Jared. Hey, how are you? Doing very well, my friend. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, I was just crying. I was chopping onions. So I'm, uh, my eyes are still burning. Man, hey, uh, you can maybe use that uh, sense memory of, of the chopping onions for, for, for later on, right? Because we're ready for a rip-roaring tour uh, <laughs> through Utahagen. Part yeah. one again, part one, take two, because we really, you know, dive deep last It's going to take us a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, just tons of value to unpack in uh, tonight's episode of Two Guys Talking Craft, right? Yeah, I'm excited about this. I've been um, looking over my notes and I've got some, um, I, I don't know, like I, I reinvigorated, re-inspired by the the way in which she goes about explaining some of the topics that we're going to be talking about today the substitutions in emotion memory and sense memory i just I, i've i've been studying it for a long time and she just there's something about the way in which she was explaining what this stuff is that even after all these years i go oh yeah that makes so much sense just the sim the simple words that she's using to help us understand this, yeah, beautiful, beautiful stuff. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I, I think that's a, a big part of what these conversations are about. This sort of new direction of two guys talking craft. Who we're looking at, you know, some of these big heavyweight names, you know, from the acting craft world. You know, like we had our, our episodes on Sanford Meisner, and now. Uta Hagen, and we're just sort of breaking it apart and making it feel a bit less, in, you know, imposing and sacred and actually picking apart, well, what are these people actually saying and, and how can we use it and what's actionable for, for us as actors, right? Which is, which yeah. is the hope. Yeah, uh, it becomes attainable and actionable and usable as opposed to just theory that's stuck in a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and intellectualized and, you know, discussed over coffees and all that stuff. It's yeah, like, how was, can we use it? I was talking to, uh, over um, messaging with an actress that was um, working on uh, a self-tape and, you know, I, I asked the questions, okay, you know, who are you? Where are you? What do you want? What are you fighting for? Like all the good basic script analysis stuff. And, and she had some solid answers to the questions and it all made perfect sense. And I said, okay, does any of that actually leave your head and get into your heart, get into your guts, and impel some response inside of you, naturally impel something in you that you can actually use it? Or is it all just information that makes sense, but you can't actually take action with it? And that was really the gap, right, is we can theorize, we can talk about uh, and intellectualize about the script analysis and make uh, commentary on different um, practices and techniques and tools. But if you don't pick it out of your head and put it into your heart and put it into your guts and actually use it, it's okay. It's fine to know and it makes sense and you could have some good discourse and talk about it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you can't use it to do your job, what's the point of it? Why do you, what's the point of understanding it if you're not actually going to use it? 
Yeah, one million percent. Yeah. Internalizing it, getting down to the, the nitty gritty. And um, yeah, we, we hope that you guys that are joining us in the live right now, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, can hopefully join in in, in tonight's discussion as well, ask questions, share your experiences. Um, we're specifically talking about Uta Hagen tonight, respect for acting. But there's one or two moments to play as well, I think, tonight, Jared. We're, we're maybe going to, you know, certainly some bits that I've picked out of this, this book where we can maybe try out some of Uta Hagen's sort of sure, suggestions at points as well. And let's see how these guys get involved too, right? Um, but yeah, we, we've got so much to, to dive through, right? Our aim tonight, we're going to discuss three chapters from the book, um, Substitution, Emotional memory and sense memory. So will we kick off in sequential order with substitution here, yeah? Yeah, you know, so just as a reminder, we're, we're talking about uh, Uta Hagen's Respect for Acting book is where, where we're at. We're still in part one. There's 10 chapters. And so on the last call, we got through chapter one and two, or intro chapter one and two, to be fair, right? We did talk about three things. Um, but I, I went back to the, the title of the book, Respect for Acting, just before I logged on, uh, Adam, I was I was prepping the onions and the garlic because I'm going to make some uh, vegan cheesy mac uh, and cheese later on tonight. So I'm, I'm prepping the onions. And whenever I cook, you know, I, I think I know what I'm doing. But I'm going to say more than half of the time, the food that I prepare based upon my my creativity is shit. <laughs> it doesn't taste good. My wife will eat it out of obligation, but we both don't enjoy it. We'd rather just you throw it out and go get some Taco Bell or, or, or something. But I, I can, so I am guilty. I continue to think that I am a chef. I've got no training. I've read no books. I've taken no classes. I, I have no apparent skill and I have no idea what seasonings go with what, but I continue to go back and use the same three, four, five you know, seasonings in all foods and I continue to make a mess out of the meals that we eat. I get it right every now and then, but for the most part I fail. And it's because I have this passion for this desire, this, this feeling like I know that I know what I'm doing and I enjoy it cooking and being a chef, but I'm a miserable cook. I'm a miserable <laughs> chef. Nobody would ever pay money to eat my food. I am demonstrating time and time again that I have no true respect for the industry of cooking and what it takes to be a true chef. I don't have a desire to go to culinary school, but I'm I'm trying I'm connecting the dots. So as I'm cook as I'm you know prepping this food, I'm like, this is what most actors, untrained actors, do. This is what most people that go to to see a show or see a movie and make a commentary on. That just because you've cried one time or you've laughed one time or you've, you've been enraged one time or just because you, you read a play, you've got no training in this and people just step on the stage and start doing acting. People get in front of the camera with no training and no technical awareness of how to function differently on stage versus TV and film. There's a total lack of respect for acting. And as I was prepping this food, I'm like, okay, I want to just make some commentary to Adam you know, when we get on this to say I'm guilty of it. And so I, I understand why somebody thinks that they could just go off and, you know, they're a human being. They feel stuff. They could just go off and become an actor without any uh, proper training, just like me thinking, okay, I've, you know, I've, I've made enough mac and cheese to be able to open up a mac and cheese store. It, it's so foolish. I would lose all of my money. My business would fail because I've not taken the time 
to really become a true master of my craft. No respect, you know, for, for the culinary arts. Mm -hmm. I've got great appreciation for it, but I've taken no time to become a master in it. No time to dedicate yeah. myself to learning. So that's what I'm hoping, you know, just little bits, you know, you and me talking about this, talking about the other the stuff that eventually these seeds that we're planting in the actors that are watching this will eventually take root and they'll make, they'll make a decision for themselves that in order to elevate their quality and consistency of quality in their work, they'll go get some proper training. So wow. I'm, I'm off my soapbox. Wonderful. No, but wonderful analogy, I think, that Jared, it sort of, you know, picks apart a lot of what we've been talking about, you know, over these, these previous episodes as well. And, and not just untrained actors, right? You know, I, I've trained. And, uh, shout out to Bobby Iceman's Faitas, by the way. <laughs> nice, nice. Hope you enjoyed them, Bobby. Good old vaginas. Um, yeah, enjoy your vagina. <laughs> um, but yeah, not, not just sort of untrained actors. Like, like, I've trained, and I know there's been times in my career where, where I've just got complacent, and I've just sort of yeah, been like, oh, I can do these things, and I just show up, and you know, like, those are the times that it doesn't sort of pull off for me. And it, it's like, um, it is that thing. It's, it's this consistent thing for everybody that's, that's in this crap. There are no shortcuts. There are no sort of... Uh, you know, easy solution. Sometimes it might work out, but eventually you, you get found out at some point. Uh, shout out, loads of people mentioned the dinner now, Jeff. You get people <laughs> uh, hungry with that analogy as well. There. What, um, yeah. Indra, what is, what is that? What is Q-U-O-R-N? Quorum. It? It's uh, the UK version of, um, yeah, like like uh, sort of vegetarian meat substitution, basically. Is, is, ah. is that some Every day's a school day, Jared. Uh, yeah. There we go. Um, but I, I think, yeah, like 100%. That, that's what we hope we can begin to unpack, right, through through these times. And just that people have respect for, for this craft that, you know, yeah. because it will stand them in good stead at the end of the day. Like, that, that's the thing. It's it's just, it's the best way to approach it in the long term, right? Is, is that. Yeah. It's completely that. And I, I think that's lovely. And, um, you know, just before we dive into this substitution chapter, yeah. The, the chapter previous was identity, and, and I, I think it's worth sort of just putting a little pin in that and just saying, you know, that yeah, some of these no things that we're going to talk about tonight, substitution, uh, sense memory, emotional memory, you can't really explore these without having a good sense of identity and it's, it's to who you are as, as a person, you know, like that um, is very, very important. And I, 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 we didn't get to say this bit, I don't think, when we, we left off last time, but... You know, Uta Hagen mentions that we don't need to psychoanalyze ourselves. We don't, we don't need to be sort of Freud or whatever. And, and you know, why, why we behave in a certain way. But she just encourages this curiosity about ourselves. And as we go through life and sort of what we can squeeze out of certain moments and things, because you never know when it's going to be useful to you as an actor. So just keeping this openness to, to all that's around you and what you can pick up and absorb in, in situations and, you know, I go back to, I think I mentioned this last week, you know, I was going through a stressful time and I was on the call to Jared and Jared was like, when you're feeling these, these times, like just see what you can take in around you because at some point you're going to be able to use this in your, in your acting one day. You know, it, it is useful even though you're stressed out to the max right now, you can still use elements of this. And I, I think as actors, we can always draw upon uh, these things, um, you know, yeah. all corners of their lives. You're making a perfect link to um, chapter four, Emotion Memory and how mm. uh, becoming aware of how your circumstances are affecting you 
emotionally, sensorily, and putting them in your memory banks to use later on. Uh, mm. I, look, an actor is an actor 24-7, right? Ne mm. Never miss an opportunity to selfishly steal away some of the stuff that's happening uh, in mm. your life so that you can reference it at a later date. 100%. And it sort of bleeds into the substitution as well to an extent, right? Like that, you know, we'll give a little intro to, to what substitution might be for, for Uta Hagen in a, in a little minute. But, you know, her argument of like, you know, it can be used at any stage of the acting process and sort of everything and anything can be used as substitution as well. And this chapter gives several examples, you know, and she actually starts this chapter off, right, with a definition of what substitution is in the dictionary sort of thing, you know, like, uh, the, but basically in an acting sense, Jared, like how, how could we put it succinctly, do you think, this, this term substitution? When the imaginary circumstances of the script and your reality in front of you does not naturally stimulate in you a response that is useful and appropriate to fulfill the work in front of you, then we as actors can look many places to stimulate that response in us so that we could bring the, the scene, the character, the emotions, the relationship to life. And so in those cases, when the material is just not doing it for you, finding some form of a substitution, a different person, a different memory, a different scent, a different sound, a different color, a different movement, any, literally anything else, that naturally and automatically stimulates something in you that's useful would be a substitution. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be so literal, right? If Adam and I are playing brothers and for whatever reason, Adam and the circumstances are not impelling in me a response that's needed for the scene, I don't have to use my, my brother as the substitution. Well, you might not have one, right? You, you might. I may not brothers. even have one. Yeah, I may not even have one, right? And so, it, it and sh she talks about this that the 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 downfall that most actors have when looking towards a substitution is that they're being too literal. They're trying to find an exact replica of the imaginary circumstances and the relationship of the scene, and bring in a substitution from your personal life. And it's it's not that. I mean, it could be, but it's not necessarily mandated to be just that. Mm. Uh, Bobby mm. says he, he wants to see Adam and, and me as brothers. Okay. We are, we are brothers, brothers from other mothers. Uh, brothers from that's, other that's mothers. Yeah. yeah. So th there yeah. was, um, I wrote down on page 39, in case anybody wants to reference it. Um, when an actor has difficulty in finding a substitution for the content of a given scene as a whole, he can usually find the root of the problem in the fact that he's being too literal. Mm. Mm. So substitutions is a, some form of a replacement of the thing, the person, the thing, the environment that's actually there, replace it with something else. And that something else is going to um, give more of a, a faster path towards the response that's needed for the piece when the actual material just doesn't do it for you. Oh, I, that's wonderful. I, I, I think that the easiest thing that an actor can do is the available stimulus, the stuff that's right there in front of them. If the other actor, if the circumstances, the, you know, the dialogue, the, the, the story, if it just naturally brings out the stuff in you that's needed for the piece, 
you don't need to look anywhere other than directly in front of you, directly to the other person, your relationship to the, the piece. However, if you're not getting it, you're not feeling that response that you need from the material, then you, you look for something else. And in this case, we're talking substitutions. Absolutely. And I think at this point, it'd be great to ask these guys that joined us in the live, you know, like, what are some of those situations that maybe you've encountered as actors, sort of sure. seeing this stuff where you just felt, shit, like, how can I approach that? I've got no way to access this at all at my fingertips. I'm feeling a bit blocked here. You know, like, what are those things? Like, for, for me, and she mentions this in this chapter, stage directions can often sort of fill, fill me with, like, fear or, or descriptions of characters. So she mentions, uh, I think in this chapter, about Blanche uh, from uh, Streetcar Named Desire and how, how she has to act like a moth sort of thing and how, how that just really sort of throws her. So she needs to find a way to specifically sort of substitute that in, in her life, you know, to, to make it sort of uh, as realistic as possible because it just otherwise becomes this thing that she has to attain that becomes show-offy and, and, and sort of uh, yeah. not from her, her own inner life sort of thing. But what about for you, Jared? Have you, have you encountered some of these sort of blocks as well from um, where it's like, nah, that, that's something that's not in my fingertips throughout your career? Or? Yeah, I mean, it happens a lot in auditions when you have to create realistic relationship, realistic history of a relationship, whether it's, you know, nemesis, enemies, uh, lovers, best friends, wh whatever the relationship is, um, oftentimes you're just not naturally drawn to the material or the other person in such a way that it impels that response in you. So yeah, I, I think that part of my process when I'm uh, at auditions and I know that there's a, an, uh, a relationship obligation and I look at the other person and I'm just not naturally stimulated in that way that it's going to uh, create the result of that relationship. Yeah, I'll, I'll look towards uh, some form of a, of a substitution. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll be very precise and specific, like uh, maybe the whole package doesn't um, bring that relationship out of me, but their eyes remind me of this person that I know and when I relate to just that person's eyes and I mm. substitute that other person through that process, that targeted process of mm. just, I'm just acting to the eyes at first. And then the, the germ of that relationship begins to, uh, to come out and then I expand from that. Yeah. So mm. I, I think that uh, oftentimes go to in auditions for me, substitutions is a, a fast path towards that, uh, imposed result. I need to. Mm -hmm. I need to believe the relationship. I need to believe the history. You seem like strangers, but you're supposed to have been married for ten years. Like I need to feel mm -hmm. it. We, you mm -hmm. know, we sort of we get those um, result-oriented directions in auditions a lot. And so, how might I do that? Yeah, substitutions um, I, I, I've used, and I think can help uh, the actor attain that relationship. Yeah, and, and, and she mentions that. that. You know, like going back to the whole sibling thing, right? She mentions this. So if you don't have a sister, think of someone in your life who is the closest thing you've got to a sister, sort of thing, and, and, and use that sort of thing, like, which, which I think is really lovely. You know, it's, it's, it's like saying, yeah, again, this, it goes back to the identity thing that we talked about last week of look at, you know, the whole of the apple and all the pieces of your life, not just a single slice, and, and chances are you can pick apart something where you can find this compelling relationship, even if it seems unreachable and yeah. unattainable. And um, 
You know, I, I think, you know, and just one bit before, you know, we move off to the definition of, of substitution. She, she mentions as well, you know, I, I love this. Don't lose yourself uh, in the part, but find yourself in the part. And, and, and I think that that is really, really uh, beautiful, right? That we, we don't have to approach this with a complete abandonment and um, suddenly lose our way and think, you know, how can we achieve some of these things that we have to, we're, you know, being asked to achieve as, as an actor. Like, it's about finding us in, in that part and finding yeah, the ways beautiful. that we can, we can get there. And just a sentence, right? But it goes back to the thing you were saying at the start of tonight, just so succinct and being able to sum up so so much, you know, in, in, in that one sentence. It's it just yeah. sort of this uh, guiding light, really, I think, you know, um, through a lot yeah, of stuff. Finding yourself in the part is a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just on a subject, from a script analysis perspective, one of the things that um, has been helpful to me is asking myself the, the question, how am I alike and how am I different from the character? You know, mm. that understanding where mm, we've got alignment, where we're misaligned, how I think like the character, how I don't think like the character, I d finding myself in there and finding the differences so I can become aware of it. Because if I can identify that for the most part, I'm mostly a lot like the character, Mm. then I can reasonably assume that my natural instincts are probably close to the character's natural instincts. But if I identify that there's a, a major gap between who I really am, my beliefs, my philosophies, and I can find all those differences, then I have to give pause and say, hey, am I responding as me or am I responding as the character? Am I imposing myself on top of it? You know, am I being faithful to the character? You know, so I want to try to find myself through that character. I, I, I yeah. really like that, that thought that, that she had. No, it's beautiful. And she argues, right? Because otherwise we're just sort of <clears throat> imposing. We're just, we're just sort of showing yeah. off and adding, adding, adding layers on there. Um, it's always about coming back to that. And, and, and then I guess in this chapter, what she continues to do is just sort of give several examples. So you, you brought up about the relationship of, like, you know, like how do yeah. we find ourselves connected to somebody that we have, maybe no real connection to, we can yeah. use substitution in that sense. She gives the example of uh, re reading the letter, which is um, Mistress Page and Merry Wives of Windsor. Um, and the thought of like this being from John Falstaff just wasn't cutting it for her to, to find the emotion behind you know, what she did. So she just substituted it um, for Jackie Gleason, who's he's a comedian over, over there, right? The, or was a comedian over there in the States. Yeah, right? Honeymooners. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah, right, I, right, I, right, Ralph Cramden. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I knew on the to see him, right? But like that, that is very right. specific, right? You're never going to have this conversation with the director. I don't think or it would be. You'd have to have a really good relationship with the director, I think, to be like, okay, so all right, you know, it's maybe not cutting it for you, John Foster. Why don't you try? It's from Jackie Gleason. That, that's something that you need to bring as an actor. That you need to have yes. this awareness yes. of yourself. That that's going to spring that up for you, right? And it comes from this self-awareness and this curiosity yeah. about you. Right? So a, a director could make a suggestion, but s similar to the comment that I was making earlier about the actress that I was working with, you may understand it. Oh, yeah, that, that should trigger something in me. But if it just doesn't, it's as useless as the actual circumstances of the script. 
if you're looking for some substitution to impel that in you, right? So yes, suggestions could be made to you, but you obviously need to find things that pierce your heart, that inspire your guts to take action. Yeah, because we've all been there, right? Where we've had this piece of direction. Can you do more of this? Can you make it more, I don't know, um, like sassy or more this or more that? And it's like, if you just purely take that literally, going back to what you were saying earlier on, then you're just going to be on this track of just exaggerating, representational, yeah. Yeah, coming from a false place, right? But if you can internalize something that is going to make you embody sassy, then that's that's when you're onto the winner, you know. If you if you can substitute something in your mind that's going to make you in that in that territory, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know she just keeps on giving examples, right? Like um, of this throughout um, of of uh, relationships, of the, the letter and things, like of parts that she's played in the past, even down to, to props, right? Um, which we we've done a bit of work on on two guys talking craft already in a previous episode. <laughs> available on Spotify and all that stuff. Um, but she mentions about the ashtray in this chapter as well, Jared, right? Like, um, and just how much she endows the history behind it, you know, like um, it becomes this very specific thing for her. It's no longer just something on the stage, Yeah, right? she, I've got it in my notes somewhere. She's talking about um, like a, a pro, oh, the origin event. That's what, that's what, that, that's how she refers to it. So, when using a substitution, you don't necessarily want to or need to recreate an entire other thing. You're just looking for a hook or a spark of some kind that's going to trigger something in you that's then usable in the in the scene. And so she's talking about how in your life experiences or in your relationships, you th- there are objects that are deeply connected to those circumstances, uh, those people. And so, I don't know, maybe, you know, grandparent passed away and and they they gave you a necklace with a little charm on it of some kind, right? And you need to have a sense of sentimentality in in the scene. Well, the substitution could be extracted or found through that origin that that object right it's just the little charm it doesn't need to be all of grandma and all of the um you know the the funeral and, and past history it could just be one little hook one little trigger the connection to that sentimentality in your relationship to grandma is just it's embedded it's endowed inside that little charm so yeah you just go slow go small find that one little hook and expand from there and then put it into the work Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. otherwise it becomes this insurmountable mountain that you have to climb yeah. right like if you can break it into something smaller like that to, to work attainable from. yeah it's attainable yeah. Uh, yeah and then and then it grows from that, that that's um endowment from stella adler too right embedding in in the props uh, meaningful history imagined history into the props so that you know when you interact with them they trigger something inside of you too um so uh, I, I wrote down um, my interpretation of this one, um, this one comment about substitutions um, was some of her words, some of my words, uh, that the mistake that people make with using substitution is that they literally add the substitution into the play. Rather, what you should do is 
transfer the psychological reality into the existing circumstances and events of the play, transferring the essence of the experience, not the original event into the scene. So you're looking to use a substitution in order to fulfill the realities of the script when the script doesn't do it for you naturally. And she's saying that a lot of actors make the mistake of bringing that substitution actively into the work. So I'm your brother, we're supposed to be in an argument, and I pick up a fight that I had with my brother, I put my brother and my argument with my brother into the piece. And now I'm relating to my brother and, and my personal uh, past experience. And what she's saying in, in her interpretation of it is, I'm picking up the psychology of that substitution. I'm bringing that, the, my relationship to my brother and the fight with the brother, I'm bringing all of the, the juiciness of that and I'm putting that inside the, the script. I'm putting it inside you. I'm not necessarily replacing you completely and imagining that I'm talking to my brother. I'm using the essence, the energy, the vibration, the psychology of the substitution to enhance and augment the reality that's in front of me, not replace it. And mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of actors look, and that Adam, that's not to say that that's not an approach that could and should work. Mm -hmm. A full-on substitution, a full-on replacement, right? There are times when something like that is valid and is the best and only choice. But her interpretation and what she's trying to to get across in her world of substitution, it's not a like for like replacement of the other person for um, for whoever you're acting with. It's the essence of it's the energy. Mm -hmm. It's your the psychological relationship to the effect. You bring that mm -hmm. in because mm -hmm. the, the circumstances, you know, you you you. You're taking the money. Uh, it was supposed to be willed to the both of us, and I'm angry because you're taking the money, and I'm supposed to be enraged. But it's just not doing it for me. I don't really care. Uh, I don't care about money. It's not. It's not anything that really triggers something in me. Okay. Mm. Well, maybe I've had a fight with somebody where they've they've wronged me and they've taken something. Um, you know that they they've stolen my tofu, right? And I really desperately want my my tofu, right? And I'm enraged because of that. I'm I'm taking the psych my relationship to the psychology of that event and putting that into the work. I'm not yeah. replacing it with it. Sure. I mean, for her, it's very much the, the embers that start to fire, I guess, you know? Yeah, beautiful. Um, beautiful. And, and, and I, you know, a little note on the essence that I took as well. You know, she mentioned, keep it to yourself. You know, keep it as a deeply personal thing. Like, like don't go around the rehearsal room and start being like, "Ah, yeah, you're, you're going to be this guy who's like my brother and all that, all that stuff." Because then she says, "You just lose the essence," you know. And we and we can't really sum it up, right? Like, I think the moment we probably articulate it and intellectualize it and make it logical and begin to discuss, well, this makes me feel like that. So you're going to be that exactly. It deflates and it goes, yeah. and and your fire is not ignited anymore. You're literally wanting to to spark something off with this and then see how you can be affected by the, the other person that's on stage and see, see where that goes, right? Because I, I guess, in my opinion, with it, otherwise you're maintaining a sense of control of the situation. You're giving in to ego a little bit, which is something that Uta Haga mentions again and again and again of like, I am bringing something to the scene and um, everybody needs to rely on me to bring this thing 
you know, like you need to eventually be okay with giving yourself over, you know, as well. Once once you're in that emotional state of seeing what happens as well, like that, that's very much my personal philosophy, I guess. But you're right; there are there are situations where it work for people as well, just yeah. having it all there, you know. Um, but no, I I think that's yeah, a beautiful, beautiful point on uh, substitution the, as well, the essence of it. The cut, yeah, and, and the comment that you made about just keeping it to yourself is. I, I can't tell you how many times throughout my training journey that I've I've had some really good uh, responses and effect. I've been affected deeply by stuff that I've used. And when I let the cat out of the bag and I share what it is that I used as a substitution or an essence or whatever it may be, I I feel judged. I feel stupid. I feel on the spot. And then all of a sudden I can't use it anymore. Right. So like, it, let's say I, I, I uh, when I embody the essence of a melting snowman, it puts me into a, a mood of melancholy. And somebody comes up to me like, Oh my God, you, your emotional life was so down. And so it was just so palpable. I really loved it. What did you use? And I, and I say, well, I was just imagining that I was melting like a snowman and they go, Melting like a snow, that doesn't make any sense. Melting like a snowman, mm. you know, and then all of a sudden I can't, I can't use that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm so in my head now. Yeah. Right. And so don't, if somebody says, Oh, what did you use? You just tell them, Hey, anytime that I see the color red, that's what happens to me. Right. It's yeah. nobody's, it's nobody's business. Yeah. We, we've used animals before, right? We did an exercise mm -hmm. a while ago with animals in, in many of the plays that I do. I, I'll, I'll make a foundation of my physical and psychological character on different animals. And I, I, I even recently I shared one time, you know, the animal that I used it and somebody uh, replied back to me and said, well, that's the wrong animal. You should have used this one. I'm like, what do you mean that's the wrong animal? Yeah. yeah. You know, that's not yeah. for you to say. So yeah. It, yeah. it's just keep it to yourself. Yeah, I think so. It's this talk thing, to you, know, teacher, you, you know, talk to your teacher, talk to your coach, get some help. But, you know, anybody that doesn't know uh, what, you know, anything about this, just it's none of their business. A hundred percent. Process is this personal thing. And, you know, going back to what she says in the earlier chapters as well, you know, that everybody, everybody in this industry thinks they can criticize and comment and all that stuff. And it's such a fragile thing. You know, it really, really is such a fragile thing. Um, you know what, yeah. what your process is so so yeah i i think that that is key i yeah, mean how, how dare you tell me that uh i shouldn't use a baby fawn to create this character how how dare you tell me that i should have <laughs> you know like sure yeah, it's, no, not, it's not for anybody to know yeah absolutely i i mean i just had a, <laughs> cu a couple more points on a uh, substitution there jared and, and like yeah. just what it's going to be like I've never, I've never had the desire to murder someone. She <laughs> mentions near the end of the chapter. Yeah, yeah. she, she mentions you know Othello, Desdemona, and uh, you know Des, Desdemona saying I've never had the feeling of having somebody want to kill me before, and then it's like well, but it's your you know responsibility, I guess, to find a way to engage with the psychology of what what would get you in that place. You know what what are things that are around you and your like that could get you feasibly in that place because we are all capable and all possible of all sorts of things like you know probably i don't know i don't know about it, probably most murderers wouldn't necessarily say they're capable of murder when they, they do, you know but like it's within us you know it's, it's a physical possibility that it could happen you know and, and it's about 
getting us in a place where we might find ourselves in that zone, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I found that, like, really interesting as well, is, like, go beyond the literal, go beyond the sort of just uh, shallow surface level understanding of it and start to think, well, you know, Othello is not necessarily, you know, relishing being a murderer or whatever it might be, but what, what are the circumstances that are going to lead him to that? You know, like, let's just sort of look a bit deeper um, there. We had a comment from uh, one of my um, dearest friends from, from growing up. Um, you know Corey. You talked to Corey. Sure, to Corey, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for joining, Corey. Um, it, Co Corey, when I did Arnold Epstein in Neil Simon's Biloxi Blues, it was uh, a hamster. It was, I, I used um, Peachy Keen, my, my hamster from growing up. You know, like it created just this tiny little, you know, um, physicality in me. Adam, one day I'll tell you how I accidentally killed my hamster uh, by accident. <laughs> uh, so let's get a love Talking about substitutions and, and like, okay, so I've never had a desire to kill. Um, it, maybe you are very much into animal rights. You're an animal uh, activist. And uh, every time that you see um, people that do dog fighting, or uh, animal abuse of some kind, it enrages you. Like it triggers something visceral and animalistic inside of you. So the substitution that you might use is not that you want to kill this other person, but the substitution is the psychology and the relationship to what somebody who abuses animals does to you and what you would want to do back to them Mm -hmm. trigger that and then put that relationship to that event to that circumstance into the piece it's not mm -hmm. to say like for like completely replace the other person and the story with animal abuse but you allow that substitution of your relationship to the animal abuse to trigger that energy that that animalistic energy inside of you and then once mm -hmm. you're there you just put it right into the piece yeah yeah and, and just going through this chapter it's just like Literally, as she says at the start, every element can, you know, you can use substitution. And, but then she argues, as we move on to the next chapter, uh, Jared, of emotional memory. Emotional memory, yeah. She starts to say, well, th this is one you might consider when, a, when substitution isn't quite cutting it for you, sort of thing, is how she sort of um, begins it off. I mean, um, the, yeah, this is, this is a mammoth, mammoth thing for, for any actor, like, I really like how she describes it, as you were saying, you know, like earlier on, how she's able to succinctly yeah. describe this and, and, and put it in, into terms. But, um, but yeah, what, what's your initial thoughts on the opening of emotional memory, Jared? I like that she defines the difference between emotion memory and sense memory because uh, it's, it's terminology that is vastly different, meaning two different things and are oftentimes um, interchanged incorrectly. So ha having some clear vocabulary of what emotion recall, emotion memory is versus sense memory, where e emotion memory, emotion recall is the psychological experience, the emotional experience, and sense memory, which comes next in the other chapter, is physiological. It's the actual physical mm -hmm. response to it. So right, you know, right now, we'll, we'll just stay focused on emotion recall, emotion memory. And 
look, this is this is one of these topics that has broken up friendships, broken up relationships, broken up uh, theaters, organizations like the group theater back in the early 1900s around the philosophy of should I or should I not go into my past life experiences, recreate those experiences sensorily. So I am experiencing the then and now, sorry, the there and then in the here and now, I'm, I'm re-experiencing it and then bring that into the work. I mean, obviously uh, Lee Strasberg's approach to this being countered by Sandy Meisner and Stella Adler and others was part of the reason why the group theater broke up is that there was a fundamental philosophical belief of from Strasberg and others. Yes, you, you should cultivate an emotional life and experience by recreating a past event and then bring, bringing it into the work and others saying, no, never do that. Right. Your personal life experiences don't belong in the imaginary world of the script. Your imagination can take you places far greater, uh, far deeper, far wider than your actual life experiences. Look, there's no right or wrong. Um, uh, I, I have used both. They serve different purposes for different things. Um, and if you, you know, like Adam, you and I have said this before, if you categorically close the door on one acting philosophy and deny that it exists and never use it because of a a dogma, a belief, well, then you at one point are going to encounter an acting challenge that you're not going to be able to solve because the only way to solve that problem is a thing that you've said no to. So no. No, I don't no, know, I just say stay open to it. No, I love that. You do have a very, um, a, a fantastic description, I think, of like an actor and what a trap they might fall into with an emotion. I don't know if you want to you want to share that before we kick off with this as well, Jared. But but you kind of mentioned it the other week about you know trying to attain an emotion. Like um, I don't know, just care to share sort of the uh, yeah your 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 thought on that about uh, attaining it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, I'm I'm paraphrasing or stealing from Eric Morris, um, who's in the you know the method camp, right? Uh, use it, using your past experiences and, and really sincerely feeling it. He, he says that an emotion is not something that you work for. An emotion is something that you attain because mm. you have an experience. And it's very much like that in, in life, right? We, we don't work to feel anything. We feel things because something happens. We experience it. We see something. Someone says something to us. We do something. We have some kind of an experience. And the output of that is some emotional response. Mm -hmm. And a lot of actors, when they're untrained, they leap over the natural way that our body functions. They just try to feel happy, feel sad, feel angry, mm -hmm. not realizing that the emotion is a result of you going through some sort of an experience. So never work for the emotion. You work for the experience and the, mm. you know, the collateral benefit of that experience when you really create it is the emotion mm. that you desire. And so, so much of that, what you, what you just mentioned there, just smacked me in the face in, in this chapter of how she, she mentions it because it, it really <laughs> resonated with me in the times that I probably have worked for emotion, an emotion. Um, and she says, 
it's almost when you're working for the emotion, and yeah, you know, I'm paraphrasing from, from that chapter there, but it's like moving through glue. <laughs> it's like every, everything's slowed down that you're sort of pushing and it's forcing horrible. and like, yeah, yeah, like, and, and I was like, wow, I have, I have definitely I've done it, yeah. Because I've been trying to, you know, ach- achieve something that Get I think is expected of me. I yeah. remember, and if Corey's on, maybe you know he remembers doing this too. Like way way back in the day when we were studying Meisner in in New York, we were at, you know behind the curtain. We're you know we're about to knock on the door and come in, and we were doing our emotional preparation. And, and I I was shit at it, and like I needed to have all this positive energy. So I'm back there doing jumping jacks and doing push ups. I'm doing everything that I can you know try to do to get to that emotion when I should have just calmed down. And just relax and allow myself to just have a, a, some sort of an imaginary journey, some experience that mm. I truthfully uh, am involved in. And the output would have been the emotion that I was working so hard for. And I would yeah. come in, you know, and I would come in and I, I was crap, you know. <laughs> and so, look, we're all, we're all guilty of it. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and, but it is that, right? If you, if you can tap into some, some experience, then all of a sudden all the puzzle pieces start to come together and this thing that you were maybe anxious about or worried about all of a sudden just, just appears in front of you like, like magic, right? Like, um, so, yeah, it, it is. Um, we've got some comments there, Jared. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, Corey's just commenting here. He, you know, he's remembering our time studying in New York. All right, so, because uh, April... Oh, so Kaz April. Okay, hey April. Um, my own experiences are my own, and I don't want to experience that. I'd rather imagine or prepare in a different way. All right, so a- April, this goes back to what I'm saying. You, you're making a statement that you want to leave your personal life, your personal past experiences, uh, completely out of your work. It's a personal choice right? Uh, You're going to rely on your imagination, your belief in the imaginary circumstances, guided daydreams, and allowing your emotions and your life and your relationships to be stimulated through, oh, oh, hey, Karen. Uh, It's Karen from the the studio. uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's when we've got these little emojis, you know, icons here. It's hard to tell, right? Yeah. So so you're you're leaving your personal life out of it, and you're working uh, through your imagination. Look, there's no right or wrong. All I'm saying is that at some point, you're going to encounter something where using a personal experience is going to be the, the best and fastest path for you to fulfill the obligations in front of you. And your emotion on that particular day is going to fail you. It's inevitable. It's, it's going to happen, right? And so if you categorically close the door to working, what you will never work this one way. You're only going to work that way. Rest assured that at some point you're going to hit a wall and you're not going to be able to do your job on that particular day. So I'll, I say that, but then there's also some people, Adam, that um, they refuse to do the imagination. Like uh, they need to be sad. And instead of reliving a past event, uh, they could imagine some some sadness happening. You know, they get they get a call that a loved one has been in a car accident. And, you know, this guided imagination daydream can take them to a place of making them sad based upon things that have not actually happened. There are people that say, I will not do that because I do, uh, they believe that if they put that out into the universe, that it's actually going to come true. Yeah, put it out, no, it's going to no. come back to them. And so they said, I don't want to think those bad, negative, sad things. I'll do it for happy stuff, but I'm not going to do it for sad stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I don't want to think about, you know, my daughter getting into a car accident or, um, you know, my, my wife telling me that she wants a divorce. I, I don't want to go on those imagination daydreams because if I put it out there, then maybe it will come true. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it's catch 22, right? You, you, yeah. Just open the door. Be be willing to go explore everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, she's being controversial on purpose. <laughs> but don't yeah, be yeah, to yeah. say. Hey, no, uh, I, I highlighted something here. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. She says, uh, I wrote that page 47 in case anybody has it. We always attempt to control and manage our emotions. Don't fall victim to oversharing them. That's not true to life. We, when we experience big emotions in life, we manage them. Mm. I, I'll give you some thoughts and then I'm, I'm just curious about uh, your response to it. A lot of actors want to show the feeling. They want to show that they can get that emotional. They want to, they want to be at level 10 emotional in front of the camera or on stage. Mm. But in life, when you're actually feeling deep, deep emotions, we tend to not want to share it. We tend to want right. to control it and manage it that fully yep. expressing it is not looked upon favorably. Mm. So my question for you is, what do you think about that? Do you agree with it? And why do you think actors feel this strong desire to share that emotionality on stage, yeah. unlike they would in real life? Like what, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a, you know, a big one, a couple of things to unpack there, absolutely. Um, I mean, first and foremost, yes, I think it depends personality to personality, right, as to how open you are to sharing emotions, perhaps, culturally, all, all of that stuff, I think, have, have certain implications, right? I do think quite often we'd rather bury our emotions under the surface rather than share them in, in real life, because when we have them swimming up in real life, there's loads of things at risk, there's loads of consequences with with that happening you know and quite often those are scary scary things and hence why we might reach boiling point you know where where these things come out or we might reach overwhelm where these things come out these big emotions but quite often we're trying to suppress them we're trying to keep them keep them under in, in real life and like you know that is for me the place where real really exciting acting comes from where everything's swimming under the surface and we're like yeah. we don't know what's going to happen next that's electrifying to me it's like anything could happen in this place because there's just so much happening there like you know rather than sharing everything wearing it on your on your sleeve why do actors tend to reach for that in my opinion it is because they maybe feel that that's the most interesting thing to show they maybe feel that they are obligated to share something like that with the audience that, that is their job because it says in the script that their character is angry, that they have to be level 10 angry, or it says in the script that their character is in tears, um, that they must reach this, this level of being bawling out and, and being in tears sort of thing. Um, and I think it comes from a place of thinking about other people and what they might think of their performance rather than engaging with the, the character in itself and, and the script that they're working on and trying to deeply engage with it in a sort of more psychological level, I guess. That that, that would be my sort of summation of like that. that. However, Uta Hagen does put it a lot more succinctly than that. I, I like that, though, yeah. Uh, they're, they're thinking about them and not them, themselves. 
Mm -hmm. Starting to think about it in life when I am like deeply in emotion, it's usually like the joy and excitement and happiness that I tend to want to share. Mm. And it's the sadness that I tend to want to manage and, and, and suppress and, and hide in real life. Mm. Um, yeah, like if I'm really, really sad, I'll, I'll do everything that I can to choke back the tears and swallow that lump in my throat, maintain control, maintain dignity. I'm visibly suffering, you know, and you can see me struggling to, you know, to, to, to bury it down. But then, you know, you get on stage and, yeah, actors have this desire to just open up the faucet and just yeah. <laughs> let it all out. And, and mate, I, you know, I'm, I'm from the northeast of Scotland, a male from the northeast of Scotland. You know, we don't, we don't show any emotion. We just grunt at each other up here, you know. It's, uh, is that true? Is that true? Is it a generalization or is that really true? That, that nah, it's, probably, it's probably a generalization, you know, they... Um, but based in truth, you know, I'd, I'd say. Because we, 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 we have this tradition, you know, we're from the sort of Presbyterian Calvinist sort of church background where, you know, you just kind of go on with it and got your head down, worked and stuff, and emotions so wasn't that with, thing, you know. So, yeah. with, with plays that are performed in, in your region, and, mm. you know, maybe in Aberdeen or maybe outside of Aberdeen, um, what, what's the tendency, uh, you know, are the men... Uh, on stage, fully emoting, and the the faucet is wide open, or do they tend to be um, managing their emotions like they do in life? Uh, it's interesting, sir. I mean, I mean, there's not a huge tradition of plays here, but there are plays that sort of hark back over the past hundred years, hundred fifty years, traditional ones. And yeah, I guess the male characters there, they aren't expressive, they aren't emotional, you know, at all. They keep a lot under the surface, and quite often that's where the drama comes from: is them sort of suppressing stuff whereas i don't know you take something like a lorca play or whatever you know you take something from other cultures that maybe they do wear the emotions a bit more on their on their sleeves sort of yeah. thing but um I, I think yeah again it just goes back to, to that right just having an awareness of you and who you are yeah. as an actor and how you'd be in certain situations and scenarios and try to be as faithful to that as possible um, it would be really interesting to get feedback. Like, let's say I came to, to Aberdeen and, and I do a play and I, I just, I let it all out, right? I don't try to manage or suppress any, any of the feelings at all. I just, I, I let it flow. Unlike I do in life when I'm, when I'm trying to manage it. I wonder how that would affect the audience, what, that would, what effect that would have on, on, on them. Would, would it make them uncomfortable? Would, would they, I don't know have specific opinions about an actor. I don't know. I, you know, I, I think as long as it comes from a truthful place, an audience is going to connect with truth, right? I, I think is the, is the be all and end all. Like, um, but yeah, there's definitely differences. So yeah. culture is there. How, how people, you know, going back to this, you know, our big emotions are, are reaching to attain them. This, this truthful, real, real thing. Yeah. Well, there's differences to where you're from and, you know, how you communicate in your environment and stuff and all of that, right? Like in, it means that different actors give different things. But certainly if it's your default, every time you go into the audition room, you're going for the biggest, you know, widest, you know, <laughs> to 11 emotion that you can. Yeah. It's probably not the best of choices, you know. It's yeah, probably not exactly. the most impressive of things either. It's going to turn people off. It's going to turn people off. And, you know, plus we, we, we've said this before that if I'm up there doing all the emoting, I let the audience off the hook, they, they then become... Uh, disengaged observers to something happening on stage 
as opposed to when I'm on stage managing my feelings, fighting to not cry, grappling with that, what that does is it, it hooks the audience, it reels them in and it makes them become tethered to you. It makes them become like active participants in your character's emotional journey. I'm mm. bringing them into this struggle because if, I, if I'm on stage and, just, and I'm letting it all out and, I, and I'm bawling, right? I'm just letting that all out. They don't have to do any work. They can just sit back and judge and just watch the yeah. story unfold in front of them. But if I, yeah. if I manage it like she's talking about, in life we manage our emotions and we should be doing that on stage as well, then all of a sudden they're with me. I pull them in, right? That, yeah. That's how you as an actor can very strategically wrap your arms around, you know, 250 seat theater and pull them right up to your heart and have them come along yeah. this journey with you. Exactly, because every one of those 250 people, when we spoke about this, you know, when we did our Meisner um, episodes a little while back, they, are, they have such a, a well-developed radar for reading into human behavior. They're, they're doing it in their lives on a daily basis, day in, day out. And for some reason, when they become an audience, an actor then maybe thinks, I need to serve this up to them on a plate. And it's, people don't want that. They want to read in themselves. And each one of those 250 people are going to have very different opinions of your performance and what yep. they were picking up from it, what they were getting from it. So, you know, let them, let them read into it and let, let them make those discoveries about your, your, your performance and be faithful and um, in finding yourself in, in the character as faithful as possible, right? And um, just, just sort of seeing what, what they read into it. So, Jack, I just noticed Mark from Actors Talks has just joined the uh, live right now. I, I want to do a shout out to, to him because he, he's doing amazing stuff on, on Instagram live over on his uh, channel. I think five nights a week he's, he's on talking Incredible. to amazing people, yeah. amazing actors. So uh, yeah, guys, if you're, if you're part of this live tonight or you listen to the podcast, check out Mark um, Beauchamp. I Beauchamp. think I'm saying his last name right. Uh, Actors Talks. But shout out, shout out, Mark. Yeah, get, get so, Jared on Actors Talks. Your talk with with Mark the other day was just so informative. Um, I, I, look, I, I love you. You're awesome. Uh, you, you just you, you did. Mark set you up with just a platform for you to shine, and you you, you shine beautifully. So <laughs> kudos kudos to Mark for that platform that that he's created. Yeah, one hundred percent. you we, we need you, you really did wonderful, and it's available, you know, on um, uh, on Mark uh, on his uh, IG live. So go back and watch those episodes. So yeah, really, really wonderful stuff. I've been I've been you know logging in and watching, and yeah, it's yeah. like you and me just sitting down having a chat about acting. It's just you know it's Mark and and, and another person. Person, a guy, a gal, other people just sitting and talking. It, what could be more enjoyable? Yeah, Mark, let's get a Jared edition very soon. I, 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 yeah. I really want to see it. I really want to see it. So, um, so yeah. Hey, emotion like, memory. We we got way off track for a minute. Um, yeah. So let's um, let's just let's just frame emotion memory um, real quick, and then we'll jump to sense memory. Yeah, we'll yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. We'll go past the hour, which we're permitted to do now, a little sure, bit. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, e emotion memory uh, at, at its high level, it is reliving, re-experiencing, recreating sensorily, so that you have a full experience of a personal past event. That when you relate to that personal past event and experience the there and then in the here and now. It stimulates something in you that you can then put into the work. Some philosophies will say you actually bring that life experience 
onto the stage and it becomes part of this complex new multi-layered reality. Some say you just allow the psychology and the emotion of it to fill you. You leave your past event, the actual people and experiences off stage or off camera, and you bring the psychology and the emotion into it. Look, whatever ultimately works for you. Jumping over to uh, Lee Strasberg, at some point there was some comment about seven years as being uh, a cutoff date, that if you're going to use a past event, you should use a past event that's seven years ago. It happened seven years in the past. It's an arbitrary number in general. The, the philosophy really is, if it happened more than seven years ago, it's probably in a place in your life that when you recreate it, the experience that you feel ultimately can be used successfully as opposed to sabotage you. But that may not be true. Like if, if I try to reuse when my father passed away, when I was 19 and I'm turning 50 this year, if I try to reuse that, and it happened well more than seven years ago, I'm crippled, right? I, I cannot use that experience. So the number is arbitrary. I can go back and, and pull an experience from yesterday or from 30 years ago. If it mm. sabotages mm. my ability to connect to my relationship, my emotions, my imagination, my senses, you don't use it. If it, if it is something that is beneficial to the scene, then what does it matter when it happened? Mm -hmm. what, are your, what are your thoughts I mean, on that? And yet it shouldn't be the, the automatic go-to, right? It, it shouldn't be this thing of every time I, I connect with a character, I go through this process of bringing up stuff from, you know, my life. The, the work, you know, it's, it's just this palette to, to sort of choose from, right? And, and I think that's our, our philosophy. You guys talking craft and, and like, you know, I think any acting teacher worth, worth or so will, will sort of say, and it's just that don't, don't get too bogged down in it either. You know, like, um, oh man, it, it worked for me once when I brought up about, you know, a friend that I, I was, it was dear to me that passed away, you know, really brought up something for me. Well, it might, it might not the next time and just, just sort of accept that. Don't, don't start to get in your own head about that and start to think, oh, it's not working for me. I'm, I'm no longer an actor because I can't um, bring up this, you know, just, just, try and, you know, verge off to the side a little bit and find something new because I, th I think that's the thing as well, you know, with it comes big responsibility. I think with it, you start to delve into the world of, like, you're looking at yourself quite psychologically and, and there can be sort of quite damaging, you know, repercussions to that as well, you know. So I think with anything, you're using it as a tool, you're not using it... Um, Therapeutically. Um, yeah, and, and you're not trying to rip your heart out and sort of, you know, whack it about the place here. You know, it's it's like you're using it to help you, you know, just create a spark, I think, you know. And, and it's the, it's the experience that we talked about that when you have an experience, the collateral benefit of that experience, the output of is some emotional response, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you, you, you said something uh, that triggered another thought. So let's say I've used a past event uh, that has brought me to an emotional life that's appropriate and beneficial and useful for the scene. And then the next time I go back to that same event, it's, ru it's run dry. It's not having the effect on me and it's no longer usable. Um, practitioners of emotion memory would tell you, don't necessarily 
throw that experience away and abandon the use of it. What they will tell you is, is take a step back and look at that life experience, maybe from a different lens, a different angle, um, and don't focus on the entirety of the event, just a moment. Just focus on the, the, sm the scent in the air or uh, a, a particular light that's coming through the window or, or a specific sound or the, the, the temperature when you touch the other person's skin. If you're warmer than them or they're warmer than you, don't try to recreate the entirety of the event. Like if the entirety of the event has been working for you and then all of a sudden it's stopped, instead of mm. just throwing it out and saying it's no longer a useful past life experience, just back, back off the pedal for a little bit and get really specific. Just pick a moment out of that, you know, full, you know, like three hour event that created this life experience, pick 10 seconds, you know, yeah. pick the yeah. smell in the room and recreate that. Right. Just recreate yeah. that one thing. And then that's your little hook back in. Right. Yeah. And maybe it's that yeah. charm. Maybe it's something, you know, some some physical prop with inside that experience that can get you reinvested in that life experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other aspect of this is when reliving a past event, you actually have um, two very unique views of it. You have reliving, re-experiencing as you did when it happened. And you have a retrospective view. So I remember vividly uh, riding. Uh, we had. Did you have a, a something called the big, big wheels growing up? Yeah, it was like a little, a little tricycle. It was all plastic with these black plastic wheels, and I don't know. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I, so I, used, I used to pedal this thing anyway. I was riding down the hill and um, having a ton of fun, and then uh, my dad got on it and rode it down and fell and broke it. And I remember being devastated. So, you know, so, so sad. If I go back and recreate that event and experience it as the kid, okay, sadness. But if I look back retrospectively as a grown adult, it's quite funny. Mm -hmm. right? I can find great humor in that. So mm -hmm. retrospectively looking back at a past experience is just as valid as reliving it, you know, the there and then and the here and now. So yeah. every life experience, you've got these two views and it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I think th this falls in the chapter of sense, but I, I think it's a lovely point to bring up here. I, I just love this this paragraph. Um, you know that this fact that we we can explore so many aspects from our previous life, from our you know retrospectively or, or relive it as a child or, or whatever. She says, in summation, let me state my opinion that a correctly functioning actor should ideally be the healthiest, yeah. least neurotic creature on earth <laughs> since they are putting their emotional and sensory life to use by expressing it for an artistic purpose. How, how lovely is that, right? It's like, beautiful. Yeah, we, we actually, you know, like, you know, a lot of people don't have this outlet yeah. to express these things. We are not in therapy. They can't get on stage in any mode. They're all bottled up. They're all tense. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. I, like, I'd never sort of thought of it in that in that way before. And um, yeah, yeah I, I think you you hit the nail on the head there, Jared. Right? Like, it's just there's, there's so much to unpack <laughs> from it. Um, I, you know, I tell you what, I, I don't know how we're doing time tonight, Jared. But will we? The the sense memory chapter. There's yeah. a couple. There's a couple of exercises that could we could sort of maybe try out uh, here just to sort of round off the, this episode if you fancy. Will, will we do a little intro into the world of sense memory, or will we pick that up another time? What, what are you feeling, my friend? Let's dip our toe in the pool now, see what happens, and then um, 
pick it back up again, maybe start off, you know, next one with sense memory too, just to see Lovely. what's there. Lovely. No, very nice. And, and, and you've already made a, a bit of the, the distinction sort of, of what emotional memory is, you know, versus um, sense memory. And like uh, this chapter, and, uh, you know, hopefully people at home can maybe join us. You, you talked about um, the physiological element of, of sense memory, right? You sort of spoke about that already, that um, by actually accessing the, the physical, we could generate some kind of, you know, emotion behind that. And, and she picks apart in quite, you know, a lot of detail, like in this chapter, if you want to cough, do this. If you want to yawn, do this. If you want to have a cold, do this, right? Um, I just thought it'd be a bit fun if we could, you know, maybe, maybe try uh, a few. Um, do, do you have some of these written down? I've got, I've got some of these specifically written down, the instructions to follow. I, I did not write down the uh, the actual exercises. I, I, I was more philosophizing around what it is in relationship to how to do sense memory, uh, its relationship to emotion memory, the difference between the, the physiological and the psychological. But yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, let me be your student. Tell me what to do. I'm right, we're going to do that. Let's just open a few comments. Uh, shout out to uh, Joanne, who has actually went and got the book. So love it, love it. Um, excellent that you're uh, jumping in and diving further in uh, into the world of Uta Hagen. Um, Ian says, uh, I find that if you practice using these different emotions, the more you relive the moment and practice them, the easier it becomes to trigger the emotional response you need, uh, whether it's happiness. So the more he revisits it, the more clearer that pathway becomes. And it's just that, right? It's, it's, it's you know, it, it falls into the realm of imagination. And that, that needs as much training and attention as sort of the other aspects as well, right? Of, of voice, of, of body, and uh, never sleep on it. And, um, and uh, yeah, Joanne, is, it's, it's one of her inspirations. So, um, so hey, and, and Rhea, like fire, is all in for this exercise as well. So let, let's do it. Well, we'll do, you know, a bit of the, you know, just philosophizing of sense memory. But let's I'm excited to yawn. I want to yawn. <laughs> you want to yawn, Jared, right. I tell you what, if you want to yawn, and you people at home, you want to yawn, well, Uta Hagen says this, <laughs> you are supposed to yawn, you must learn that the physical reason for yawning is a need for oxygen to the brain. Got that? You know, so we're, we're not just imposing here, we're not just like uh, opening our mouth, we're engaging with the fact that there's oxygen, oxygen in the brain. Most of you open your mouth wide and exhale. Uh, and then jump to another action because it felt so peculiar. So Jared and, and people at home that are joining in, and let's give, give us a really, you know, imposed fake actor yawn. Let, let's see what that might look like. Uh, just that you're, you're, and here we go. Oh, wow. You look like the MGM lion in the, in the style of movies there. That's what you look like. Um, don't do that. Okay. Instead, do this, says Uta Hagen. You should inhale deeply. So inhale deeply as you push your jaw down and back until your mouth opens. Okay. So inhale deeply, push your jaw down and mouth back until it opens. Let me go sideways so you can see this. Yeah, yeah. And then you continue to pull the air deeply into your lungs before forcing it up into your head as you exhale. And you can create a yawn at will in this way, so much that your eyes may even water. They, they, they just watered. I, I was just catching that, you know. Whoa. That is, that is a yawn, my friend. 
<sighs> one of the Sanzian lion stuff right there. Nice. Oh, wow. Dead now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, guys that are trying to home, maybe let us know how that horse is going. Very interesting. Man. That was, that was this, a, a this very... is going to play well back on the uh, the audio version of the uh, the. Podcast. It is. Uh, <laughs> I can only say, and you've got to believe us here. That was a great yawn. That, that was Jared a great just yawn. That's um, right. You know what? I, I, I hate it when um, you try to yawn and like you can't get you can't get that full breath. Mm, mm. I'm gonna do this when I feel like I can't. Yeah, and Indra's eyes water too. Yeah, same here. Um, I'm gonna do that when you feel like you can't take a deep breath. Just so down. <laughs> <sighs> That's awesome. That's Thank great. You. <laughs> um, let's try try one more, right, for exploration. We'll maybe pick up on some of these exercises in the next two guys talking about that. But if you if you require a cough, Jared, do you want to cough? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's very topical right now. You probably don't want to cough in public anywhere right now. Otherwise, people give you. I'm double looks. vaccinated. I'm good. You're all right. This well, man's I, vaccinated. So. Yeah, I won't. I won't cough on anybody. Though. Here we go. Right. So we'll try, we'll try this one out. It's all exploration, right? So join in at home if you want to. If you require a cough, find the exact spot in your throat where you remember a tickle or a scratch, right? So feel that tickle and scratch coming into the, the back of your throat. Feel it in a specific spot. There's tingling there that's coming. And you must cough to relieve it, right? So you must clear that tickle that's coming to the back of your throat to, to relieve it. This one might be a little bit harder to sort of visualize, but let's see. Are you feeling that tickle? No, very nice. That, that one's that one's less physical, right? That one engages the imagination a little bit more, and you yeah. have to pinpoint it. Like that one's to explore. Lovely, yeah. No, very nice. Like now I'm miserable. But I guess it starts to touch on, um, and yeah, absolutely, Joanne. We always save these episodes to the Instagram Live TV and stuff like that. Uh, Studio One now, so check them out there. Um, but yeah, the sort of um, just what you were saying, right, about the physicality. <laughs> behind uh, the, the sense memory here, uh, how we can start to access some yeah. different levels of, you know, emotion and, and reaction. So I, I, I want to talk a little bit about what sense memory is and why, why we use it. Can I do that? Yeah. And maybe I'll, I'll replicate this, you know, when we, when we jump in and talk again uh, next time. Yeah. But the uh, the coffee cup exercise that is so very uh, famous when people are learning how to do sense memory, um, I, I think is misunderstood. Sense memory is a process through which we train our senses to memorize how objects affect our senses so that when we are on stage or in front of the camera and we need to recreate that response, we can call up the memory of how that object affected our senses for the purposes of fulfilling a particular obligation on stage. 
I don't uh, hold a glass of apple juice and sensorily recreate it so that I can actually taste whiskey. I sense memorize whiskey so that when I'm drinking apple juice on stage, I can evoke the sensorial response as if it was whiskey so that I could put that response into the work. Just being able to taste coffee or taste whiskey is irrelevant. It has to stimulate something in you that's actually useful for the piece. So if I'm drinking water and I can sensorily recreate it into coffee, and it's meaningless, I don't actually use it to fulfill anything, what does it matter? Mm -hmm. So it has a, a very specific purpose. I'm playing in the play where the plane crashes down and I'm in the snowy mountains and uh, you know, the, uh, the, the soccer players are uh, considering uh, becoming cannibals to stay alive. And I'm freezing cold. Well, I can sense memorize how snow and how the cold affects my body and how that affects my ability to talk and think and function so I can put that response into the work on stage truthfully. Because obviously when you're on stage, you're not actually cold, right? It's fake snow, it's fake this, it's fake that. And so I sense memorize how objects affect my body, affect my senses, and become very much aware of the response that my body has so that when I recreate those things that are not there, I can use that response in the work. And we start with, you know, a cup of coffee. We start with that really simply because if I can recreate sensorily a cup of coffee and it allows my body to respond in a way that triggers some emotion, some memory, if I could create a cup of coffee, I can sensorily recreate a sunset. I can sensorily re recreate uh, the, you know, the, the sound of a, uh, of a Beethoven um, uh, symphony. I can recreate the, you know, the scent of perfume you know, of a, a long lost loved one. I can recreate things, how they uh, affect me when they're not there. You, mm. Sense memory has a purpose. There, there's, there's a specific purpose for it. To be able to sense memorize something so that it has an effect on you, so that when it's not there, you can recreate it so that your body has those same responses and you put it into the work. If you're not gonna take the response and put it into the work, it's, it's pointless. Wow, no, I think that's lovely. And, and to be <laughs> To be specific about you know how that makes specific, yeah. yeah 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 like um so it mentions in this in this chapter and we'll pick up on this like yeah. later but be, being in the wings I, I think she sort of mentions you know and then um be, being in a rainfall and stuff like that but be, being specific as to you know what that sort of rainfall is is like and you know how heavy the rain is and what sounds are you know all that stuff but um hey Jared it's been action-packed once again my friend um, <laughs> i don't even know was that real or was that not um, I'm, I'm that what? good i'm that good you don't you don't know if it's a real yawn or a, or a fake yawn that is you know i had a good teacher I had a, I had a good teacher Uda, not you you just replicated what she said she's a good I, you're right man that is that was 100 percent. i'm gonna get her copyright on that like Uda Hagen all the way um but jared joanne is asking she wants to take some notes on this and stuff so let, let's just fill people in if you because we never have time for this usually we think instagram's going to kick us <laughs> off after that but if you want to find us yeah. two guys talking craft 
we have an Instagram channel that is Two Guys Talking Craft. Um, also, we have previous episodes on Spotify and Anchor and Apple Podcasts and any, anywhere you can get your podcasts. And this is episode 19, so you go back into the back catalogue. We, we've covered a whole heap of stuff, right, from Stan Starsky to Meisner to... Uh, you name it. We, we demonstrate this stuff. Tonight's been a lot of chatting. We've done a lot of sort of demonstrations in the past yeah. as well. You can catch all of them as well on the Unstoppable Acting Studio, Instagram, uh, Live TV. And yeah, we, we hope there's going to be other channels and ways to sort of catch up in the, in the future. And um, where, where can people specifically find you, my friend Jared, as well? Where, where can they, they catch you? <laughs> Uh, Mark is Mark just said it's four hours on live. Keep keep going. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, yeah. We um, Mark uh, up until recently it was only an hour. So Adam and I rush 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 to to cut it off right at an hour. Um, but it's good to know that we've got some extra time. Um, yeah. So my website is actorsapproach.com and then obviously you know find me here on Instagram. Um, I uh, if you look at the the website uh, actorsapproach.com there's a page that says uh, podcast. So just go to the podcast. You can, you can watch all these right through there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Friend, friend me here on Instagram so we could chat and say hi. Absolutely. We, we, we love hearing from people. We love hearing from you guys as well. So uh, please get in touch. And um, John, uh, I, did I, I say you... it's, it's an actor's approach craft toolbox. It's, it's a mouthful. I wish it was uh, shorter, but it's not. So yeah, the Instagram is actor's approach craft toolbox. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and please head, head over. And um, yeah, we, we look forward to, to seeing you guys next time. We're going to continue on this journey through Uta Hagen's Respect for Acting. And this is just such a valuable journey, right? There's just so much com coming out of it. And, and uh, there's no reason to rush. I mean, I, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying just taking our time, just having some, you know, in-depth uh, conversations. Uh, Mark, yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you write here? Yeah, uh, actorsapproach.com. Yeah, that, that's correct, Mark. Um, yeah, it's just so enjoyable just to take our time and relax, have an intelligent conversation, get some good feedback from the actors, and, and now we don't have to rush. You know, just take our time. We're, you know, we're, we're going to try to get through part one at some point so we can get into <laughs> some of the exercise and some of the, you know, the, the juicy stuff that's coming next. But look, we'll get there when we get there, right? You, we've got all the time in the world, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. And selfishly, yeah. it's just more time for me to look at that beautiful face. Right back at you, my friend. Right back <laughs> at you. Um, but hey, Jared, until next time, I appreciate you so much, my friend. Well, hey, uh, before you oh, jump, we, we've just got a couple of questions or comments, so let's maybe... Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's address that. Um, all right, so uh, that can really help when I practice my lines. Uh, amazing. Good. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, so Joanne, when my dad passed away, I struggled to use my emotion, sense memory. Is there any advice that you can give me? Mm. Um, well, the first question I'll ask is, you know, do, do you need to go there um, in order to cultivate those emotions uh, for the work? Like what's, what's the desire, the psychological desire to want to go use that? Um, if it's therapeutic, I would always recommend, you know, go find a good therapist and, and work mm -hmm. through that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, if in the past you've used your father's passing and your relationship to that to help you do your work, and by going back there, 
and feeling stuff doesn't sabotage your work. Meaning, let's say you're you're uh, in musical theater and the song is supposed to be uh, have some sad tone, and you go back and you relive your father's uh, passing, and it stifles you to such a place where you can't actually breathe and sing. Mm -hmm. You've done yourself more harm than good. So you know, first, just be very honest with yourself and and ask yourself why am I why do I need to use that particular event to bring up the emotions that I desire for the piece? Are there any other um, any other life experiences that you could that you could and should use? Um, if you feel that going back and using your the the passing of your father is emotionally and psychologically safe for you. And the response that you get from that reliving experience is actually productive and useful in your work. And it's not uh, self-serving, you know, emotional masturbation. You know, it's like you're just doing mm -hmm. it to, to, mm -hmm. to make yourself feel something. If it's actually serving the piece and it has worked in the past and it's just not working now, then something has happened to create that instrumental block. And so that's something that you could talk with a therapist about. You know, maybe you remembered something that's preventing you from reaccessing it. If you want to do these things on your own, really, you you then go back to the actual event and you start, instead of doing an entire emotion memory exploration, you pick one moment in time, like a minute, maybe 30 seconds, maybe. And you investigate sensorily everything in that one particular moment and don't move on from that until it's been fully explored with your with all of your senses so that your senses are responding to that and if that moment triggers responses in you that is then um, usable in the piece well then maybe just that 30 second moment is the moment that you go back to for the experience as opposed to trying to recreate the entire event just moment by moment by moment by moment. That's a very safe way to go back to it and explore. And then by doing that chronologically, right? By doing that chronologically, you may stumble upon the moment in that overall experience that is your block. And if you do happen to stumble upon that moment that is your block, that's when you pick up the phone and you talk to your therapist, right? A lot of this stuff feels therapeutic but we are not trained therapists. You know, acting teachers yeah. should not be offering yeah. therapy right? We, yeah. we offer uh, exercises and explorations that feel very therapeutic and walk side by side with some um, uh, exercises and explorations that you'll get in, in therapy, but we're not trained to know how to um, manage that for you. So get yourself a good therapist if you're finding that you've got these blocks that are um, unbreakable for you. I yeah, hope, I hope well, that, that helps. That, you know, maybe you know, type, type some comments if you're still here, uh, Joanne. Let me know if, if that commentary hit the mark for you. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, fantastic, you know, advice on that analogy. And I think, you know, going back to that Uta Hagen comment of, like, you know, we, we should be the healthiest, least neurotic creatures <laughs> yeah. on earth and stuff, it, that is tongue-in-cheek. That, that is also tongue-in-cheek and quite, you know, um, because we have this ability to express our emotions, we, we should be feeling fine sort of thing, but it is that, we, you know, like we don't psychoanalyze ourselves. And the question, you know, I, I would pose to you as well, Joanne, is just, do, do you feel ready? You know, like, is that something that you, you have to? And um, yeah, I think everything that Jared said there um, would hopefully be hugely, hugely helpful to you. Um, but yes, um, great. And let's, let's keep the conversation bubbling around. Let's keep it going. And um, 
yeah, until next time. Two two weeks time, right? Two weeks uh, we'll be back. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, we'll uh, continue on this journey uh, of two guys talking craft. But big love, Jared. Take care of yourself. And um, until next time, thank you very much, everybody. Take care. Take care. Bye, Take everybody. Care Bye. Bye now. This is Adam from Unstoppable Actors Studio in Scotland. And this is Jared from Actors Approach in America. And together, we are Two Guys Talking Craft. A one-hour podcast where we talk about the craft of acting. Explore the various acting techniques from all the master acting teachers. And help you grow your acting skills. Two Guys Talking Craft. Two Guys Talking Craft. It sounds much better when Adam says it. Yeah, it does. This is Two Guys Talking Craft.